0: I'm Frank Andorca, Editorial Director of Solar Power World Magazine. Welcome to another edition of Solar Speaks, Solar Power World's podcast series that gives you the opportunity to hear from the industry's biggest newsmakers in their own words. Today we're talking with Mark Cersullo, senior marketing manager at Outback Power, about the company's new white paper that details how homeowners can add battery backup power options to the existing grid-tied PV and solar systems. Mark, welcome back to the program.
1: Thanks, Frank, and thanks for asking us back.
0: Outback Power's history, obviously, is in the off-grid power field. It's well-established. But there's obviously a renewed interest in grid-tied PV amongst consumers. What are the reasons that you're seeing for that rise in interest?
1: I, I, the answer's a little complex, so if I kind of circle around it a bit, uh, just to be a little patient with me. Uh, I, I think we're seeing a, a surge in interest than uh, even a rise. It's, it's almost exponential, and, and uh, what we've noticed in this last year, for example, is something like uh, 83,000 residential systems were installed in 2012, uh, according to several industry resources that we look at, and uh, there's a cumulative base of about 300,000 homes out there now with solar, which uh, means that an astonishing 27% of all the homes that got solar got them in the last year, in 2012. That's just significant. And I think that a lot of what's driving that is really economics, and the economics makes sense now more than they ever did. And the first economics you look at would be that the systems now are average price, Wall Street Journal survey of five major Solar markets in the U.S. I read recently said that the average installed system price is twenty-five thousand five hundred dollars for a five kilowatt system. That pencils out to about uh, twelve thousand after all the incentives to, uh, out of the pocket of a homeowner. So right away the savings are, are, are pretty big. The uh, payback was something like eleven and a half years. Uh, so all the Baseline economics makes sense for people even thinking of adding solar, but also in the building and the home, the real estate markets, in the last two years, Department of Energy and some others have have mentioned that uh, homes with uh, solar are almost twice as likely to sell in a... uh, market, even a depressed market, than homes without it. In California, especially around San Diego, where one of the studies was done, they said homes with solar sell about twice as fast as homes without it. And the recoup rate on a solar-equipped home is is up at 97 percent, and I don't think anything else is that high. The assessor's associations and the people that value homes that whole industry usually put uh, home upgrades at kitchens and baths and things like that, and the the highest ones are maybe in the 80s or so, 80 percent range. Solar really pays back almost every dollar you put into it. You'll get $0.97 cents back when you sell your home. That's that's just huge. And the other thing is, is that the recoup rate is about $5.50 a watt. So you're going to get about 5 dollars 5 back for every watt of solar you put in when it comes time to sell your house. So the economics are just all lined up to make it a really compelling proposition for people, whether they're buying a new home or they have an existing home and they want to add it.
0: In the white paper, Mark Outback argues that adding renewable energy to the grid actually can destabilize it instead of augment it. And I'm sure that seems counterintuitive to many of our listeners. I know that I've heard the exact opposite from other people within the industry. Can you explain exactly what effect that the destabilization can have on the grid and how renewables contribute to it?
1: I think it depends on where... In the country, you're standing and looking at this. And I'm looking at California, which is fairly close to where we are here in Washington state. Now, I'm speaking from a place that has one of the possibly the lowest electricity rates in the country because of all our hydro. But looking at our neighbor two states south California, which has fairly high utility costs and also tremendous appetite for power and also a lot of renewable energy. The top solar states in the country are california and arizona in fact two-thirds of all the pv that's been installed in the country has been installed in those two states Uh, of course the breakdowns are different california's balanced between residential commercial and utility portfolio whereas arizona has really emphasized utility and that's that's important too for a reason that will become apparent in a second so you have a place like california where you've got right now about almost 15 percent of their electricity comes from renewable sources. Almost all of that is wind and solar. And their goal, in fact, by the end of the decade, by 2020, is to have 30% of the state's renewable energy come from those sources. And that all sounds like a great plan, except then in the headlines just a couple of months ago, in fact, we had the head of CalISO, which is the statewide system operator you know, for all the utilities, state in the, in the Wall Street Journal that right now, with 15% of its electricity coming from renewables, he's got 40% more renewable energy than he needs at any one time. And the more that's going onto that grid, the more unstable it's getting. And the reason's really simple. There are technologies that are ideal for peak demand generation, and there are technologies ideal for baseload generation generation. Nuclear power plants, coal, natural gas plants, even hydro, all run at a fairly constant rate, and they're great at maintaining that base demand that that users need. Solar and wind are great peak demand technologies, but when the sun stops shining and the wind stops blowing, something else has to make up the difference. And the Operator at the nuclear power plant, for example, if it's anywhere except Homer Simpson in Springfield, can't just pull the lever and ramp the thing up and make up for all the wind and solar that dropped off the grid like that. Uh, those plants run at a fairly constant output. Yeah, even hydro in Washington State here, we can't just suddenly turn up the hydro generation without killing salmon and getting into a lot of other things, letting more water through rivers and everything else. Those those low demand generation systems really just aren't elastic enough to make up the slack or the gap that's left behind when those peak demand systems are suddenly offline. So the more renewable energy that goes into a grid, and in a place like California you have a tremendous amount of it, the more you need these systems and safeguards to make sure that you've got enough constant or low demand energy at one hand at any one time to satisfy everybody's needs. So that's why grid destabilization is going to be more of an issue as we move further into the decade and further toward the goal of more renewable energy. And that's why storage technology is being able to store that generated energy someplace instead of just dumping it right back onto the grid are going to be more and more critical. And that's why things like AC coupling are are increasingly going to be looked at as, as really viable alternatives.
0: Talk to me about AC coupling. That's a main focus of the white paper that you produced. What is it and how does that help level out that destabilization that we were just talking about?
1: In its simplest form, AC coupling is uh, simply this. If you look at those 300,000 homes out there with solar now, they're, almost all of them are simple grid tied systems. That means they have an inverter that converts DC from the panels, from the solar panels, into AC that you can use in your home. They put that back into your home's grid, if you will. You can sell it back to the utility. You can build up credits. You can use it to offset some of the loads in your house. And you have, um, if you're if you're at the point where you have a surplus, you're, of course, generating more power than you need, then you can send it back to the utility and everything works well. Those systems are very simple and they don't really have any backup built into them. They work when the sun's shining, when the sun's down, they don't work. And, when, of course, when there's power routers, they have to disconnect as well per the UL 1741 standard. They have no way to maintain a AC waveform any way that you could use, even if they could stay online, which they can't. So they have to disconnect. And that's most of the solar out there. The last um, few years or so, there's been a lot of interest in what are called grid interactive systems. Outback sells a version of that called grid hybrid. And what a, what a grid hybrid system does is it's interactive. It has the capabilities of a, uh, a grid-tied system, but also it can function as an off-grid system, which is yet another type of system where you are when there is no grid at all. Let's say you're living in, in the woods or on a lake or in a resort and you use... Solar, wind, and maybe a generator for all your energy, and 100% of what you uh, what you use is is generated that way. So the gr- a grid interactive system will be grid tied when it makes sense, and then off grid when you need it. And the trick is is that unless you install the smarter inverter, the more involved electronics and the more involved electrical infrastructure to support it with a sub-panel and primary and secondary or primary and backed-up loads, let's say, and battery storage or some kind of energy storage system, you're really out of luck. You either have a grid-tied system or you went for a grid-interactive system. There's been a lot of interest with people on, could I add that capability later? And AC coupling, in fact, gives you a way to do that. And all an AC coupling system does, but it's very interesting, is it adds a second, smarter inverter to your first system and an energy storage bank. And it effectively relegates the first inverter that's taking power from your panels on the roof and sending them back into your home as another grid. There's another AC source. So it looks at several AC sources. It's it's connected to the grid and it's connected to your local, say, microgrid solar system, which which you have now. And it backs everything up so that if the sun's shining and you're generating electricity and everything's working well, it's not really there other than keeping the batteries charged up. You're selling power back to the grid. It's basically a piece of copper wire. It's just passing everything along. But if the grid goes down or the grid's going through Stability problems, or you have a reason to want to get off-grid, for example, or whatever you want to do, it then functions as your entire backup system. It can support your loads. Uh, it can take power from the grid-tied inverter to charge your batteries. It can You can use that power at night. You can do all kinds of things with it. So you really have the best of both worlds. You have an off-grid system when you want it or need it, and you have a grid-tied system when that makes the most sense. And AC coupling is really the technology that lets you do both.
0: That sounds... Awfully complicated. That sounds very complicated to me. If I'm a homeowner, why wouldn't I simply purchase a generator, a diesel generator, let's say, to get me over those shoulder periods instead of investing in an AC coupling battery backup system?
1: It's an interesting question, Frank, and it's not really an either or. You likely will have both. Generators sound like are a great idea, and a lot of people use them, of course, and if you were post-Hurricane Sandy, for example, on the East Coast, we're waiting in line for a long time for gasoline trying to keep your generator going. You'll know the generator has to run 24-7 to keep you in any kind of power at all. A lot of what a grid-interactive system does is that it uh, really reduces generator run time. In other words, your generator might run for a much shorter period of time because it's charging your batteries and you're using the batteries. So if you have battery backup, first of all, you're autonomous. You you may be able to stay off the grid even indefinitely, depending on the amount of solar you have and and, uh, what your load structure is like and how much energy storage you have, what your load demands are like, I should have said. And so you can function for quite a long time uh, with minimal generator use and minimal fuel that those five gallons of gasoline that you were rationed to every other day or whatever it is, depending on the emergency, might get you through a whole week as opposed to a day or two. So... Really, a generator should be looked at as a good plan C, but the battery backup is always the best plan B if, if you want or need that. So an AC coupling lets you have both. In fact, a good AC coupling system will work extremely well with generators and be able to use them as part of the microgrid that you have at your, effectively, your home as well. So the the answer is they really both belong. And investing in one will get you through in an emergency and in the short term, investing in both makes sure that you're uh, you've got everything you need for even longer periods.
0: As I read the white paper, Mark, um, in prepping to post it to the website, I'm pretty sure I saw the word dithering used in connection with AC coupling. And can you explain to our listeners what dithering is?
1: When you're we're building an AC coupling system or you're thinking about an AC coupling system, then there are a number of schemes you use, for example, to make sure that the Inverter and batteries that you're adding to the first inverter, the simple grid-tied inverter, uh, work well and can all uh, stay operating. And you you may, in fact, be looking at a number of things like a transfer switch. Transformers, in fact, uh, are one thing because... a lot of times, you need you've got a what's called a split phase or a one twenty two forty volt inverter, and the second inverter uh, may not be, so you have to use a trans a transformer to make them work. And you also might have diverged what are called diversion loads, which is where the extra energy coming in from the solar panels once it's stored up in the batteries, and so let's say you're off grid, if there's an emergency and you can't put it back on the grid, you need a place to put it it goes into these diversion loads and frequency dithering or frequency manipulation or whatever you want to call it is another one of those types of things. So the scenarios like this, all of this really, de- when the grid's up, most of this doesn't really come into effect. It's really when the grid's out and that's really where these systems are come into their best operating mode. So let's assume the grid's out. The first thing that's happened is that your grid interactive inverter, your second smarter inverter because you have an AC coupled system, now becomes your grid. That is, that is the microgrid running your entire house. So it continues to charge your batteries. And let's say the batteries are are full. The grid tied inverter is charging them away because there's lots of solar. The battery's full. What happens is frequency dithering is one technique, diversion loads are another, where the extra energy goes into these fluid, effectively powers a heater, which is very wasteful. With a frequency dithering system, that's what turns off the grid tied inverter because it has to be tricked into turning off. So what happens is the signal from the AC coupling system dithers, so if the threshold is so we're talking about 60 hertz if the threshold i think is 60.5 hertz or 59.5 hertz you have to either be above or below one of them then it manipulates the signal so that it's above that and that shuts the inverter off that's a way to trick the other inverter into turning off so it doesn't keep charging up your batteries and then your batteries are discharge. and the thing that gets a little tricky here is that as the batteries discharge let's say the sun has gone behind clouds or it's gotten darker or it's gotten rainy eventually the grid-tied inverter would charge them back up again. But now there's not enough sun to do that, so your generator comes on. And the problem is your grid-tied inverter might think that the grid is back when the generator comes on. And in fact, those kind of things can even fry a generator under the wrong conditions, or you know, a, a couple of the wrong conditions coming up. So I know this all sounds a little bit complex, but what it really gets down to is frequency jittering, diversion loads, transformers or or having to buy an optional, an extra transfer switch, combinations of those things are what make AC coupling systems work in most situations. And the difference with our system and others is that we don't use any of those things. The transfer switching is already built into our inverter. The inverter is a very smart grid interactive inverter with superb generator management functions. Uh, It has a lot of different AC operational modes, so it really doesn't need to do the frequency dithering tricks, it doesn't need to rely on transformers, it doesn't have to dump power into diversion loads, because all that's engineered to work without those kind of support functions. So we start, you know, we really have a platform that's really stable and very, very well-equipped for AC coupling. And what that really means is that our AC coupling system, the box that goes with the inverter to make it an AC coupling system, can be a lot simpler. It's a very elegant electromechanical device. It uses remote-controlled circuit breakers and relays, so that it mechanically and very reliably switches things in and out. You don't have to worry about frequency shifting or anything like that. It's very elegant, very simple, and it's built on a more stable and, I would say, more talented inverter platform. So we've engineered a lot more into the inverter, so we don't have to rely on frequency dithering and the other things to make AC coupling work. That would be the big difference.
0: What are the guidelines that installers and homeowners should use to size their AC coupling solutions.
1: Really, the rule of thumb, and I'm not an installer, so I'm just speaking to somebody who's Talked to a number of them and learned as much as I can in doing that. Is that the AC coupling system should be the AC coupling inverter should be about 1.25 times bigger than the inverter to which it's connected. And if you look at the standard, the average system in the United States, I think I mentioned before, five kilowatts is of the average PV solar system installed. That means that you're the inverter you want to look at. The grid interactive inverter capacity would be about six, at least 6.25 kilowatts. Our radiant inverter that we use in our see coupling systems an 8 kilowatt inverter. So it's compatible with systems up to 6 kilowatts, actually even higher. And we like to have as much reserve in there as possible. You can't really have too big an inverter on the other side, but you want one that's at least 1.25 times bigger than your other inverter. So that's that's the kind of inverter you need. You're going to buy more inverter than you have already for your grid-tied system to be your AC-coupled inverter. The next thing you want to consider, of course, are your batteries, because you're adding battery storage. Now, a lot of that will depend on the amount of PV you have, the amount of panels, and the capacity. The rule of thumb, though, is for every two kilowatts of PV that you have, you want one battery string. That's usually four batteries. Our batteries are 200 amp-hour batteries. There are a lot smaller ones out there, of course. But you basically want four batteries or one battery string for every two kilowatts of PV. So you're talking about anywhere from four to eight batteries in an AC-coupled system. And then if you had a lot of PV, you might be looking at up to 12. Uh, every series, because the strings themselves are, the batteries are in parallel in a string and then the strings are in series. So it's 30 amps, 16 amps, up to 90 amps. And that really is, you know, gives you some comfortable operating parameters and specifications for an AC-coupled system. Our radiant inverter is, is well over that in amperage. So you're looking at anywhere from a, you know, I'd say from a six to an eight kilowatt inverter that you're going to be adding, and, uh, or six and six and a half to eight kilowatts worth of inverter that you're going to be adding. It could be multiple inverters or one bigger inverter, and anywhere from four to eight batteries, depending on how much PV you have, and possibly up to 12, de- again, depending on how much PV you have, but the rule is about four to eight, and that should give you a number of days of autonomy, depending on your loads that you can operate off-grid if you need to. That's Generally, what a system will look like.
0: If people want to read the whole white paper that we've been discussing with all the charts and the diagrams, they'll be able to check it out on Solar Power World's website, which is SolarPowerWorldOnline.com. I would urge you to go check it out now if you haven't. If, if after reading it, they still have questions and wanted to talk to someone from Outback directly about the white paper, what would they do to do that?
1: Well, several things. We always encourage people to call us here in Washington State. Uh, We have a fantastic tech support group that helps uh, end users and installers answer questions and figure out capabilities and and options with systems they have or systems they're considering, so they can always contact our technical support out here. And of course, they can contact us at sales at outbackpower.com, and the links are all on our website. We also have a training program, which mostly is of interest to solar installers and electricians looking at the solar business that are active in it. And that's a, a class that we have a training center. We do in our training center out here in Arlington. And we now have AC coupling added to that class as one of the learning modules. So we're teaching AC coupling as well. So anybody that, especially if they're in the Pacific Northwest or on the West Coast and they're highly interested in solar or thinking about doing something with it, they're always encouraged to take our classes as well because this is now one of the technologies we teach in the class. Those would be those would really be several of the great ways to learn about it.
0: We've been speaking with Mark Sarasulo, Senior Marketing Manager at Outback Power, about the company's white paper detailing how homeowners can add a battery backup power option to their existing grid-tied TV Solar Systems. As I mentioned, this white paper is up on our website for you to read, and I suggest you do it post-haste. As always,
1: Mark, great to catch up. Thank you, Frank. and It was great to uh, be on the podcast again, and thanks for the opportunity.
0: This has been Solar Speaks, Solar Power World Magazine's podcast series that gives you the opportunity to hear from the industry's biggest newsmakers in their own words. I'm Frank Andorka, Editorial Director of Solar Power World Magazine. Until next time.